0: to
1: Jesus. In some of you, the only thing you've ever seen of Christianity is a dead religion, but I serve a living God who has sent us a living Savior.
2: I'm not going to stay here, says one. I don't believe this is the ship Zion. Off goes the coat, and he jumps overboard. Will he not be drowned? Yes, so with those who leave this church.
1: For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. If you
2: choose to become inactive or to leave the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do?
1: such a savior. He's mighty to save. Don't let anything stand between you and coming to know him. Did I born myself again? No. He made me
0: alive together with Christ. Listen, I can no more manufacture the
1: second birth than I manufactured the first one.
0: All right, welcome back, Fireflies, to Outer Brightness from Mormon to Jesus. Uh, we have with us tonight a very important guest, uh, Sandra Tanner. Uh, her her name should be familiar to just about all of our listeners. Um, she, if, if you're someone who has uh, began questioning the LDS faith or, or attempts to defend the LDS faith, uh, you very quickly become familiar with the the Tanners, uh, Gerald and Sandra, and Gerald. Sandra and her husband Gerald uh, left the LDS Church in the 1960s, uh, I believe, and um, from then on, kind of had a ministry in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry. Um, it's a bookstore that they first ran out of their home and then uh, expanded into a separate uh, building where they, where it is today. And um, over the years, they've been able to reach many, many Latter Day Saints with information about the LDS faith, information about Christianity, and and as I said, if you're if you're anybody. Around uh, Mormon studies or ministry to Mormons or LDS apologetics, you very quickly uh, become familiar with with Sandra Tanner. So, Sandra, welcome to Outer Brightness, and thank you for coming on. Okay, good. So, you've been on a lot of different uh, podcasts that I've listened to. You have a you know you've been on Mormon Stories uh, several times to do shows with John Belen. Uh You recently were on with um, Stephen uh and. I heard you were on another one. Uh, Was it with Eric Johnson? I didn't get to listen to that one yet.
1: Uh, Yes, I've been there. I've been with Rick Bennett uh, on gospel tangents. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. So there's
1: quite a few. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There are a lot of places where you can go to, to hear Sandra talk about um, all of the studies that, that she and Gerald did um, the impacts that they've had on um, LDS evangelism um, from a Christian perspective. And, and, and really just her story. Um, you can hear that on Mormon Stories. We thought it would be interesting to have Sandra on to talk about something that um, doesn't get covered a lot um, because of her expertise in Mormonism. Um, but we wanted to have her on to talk a little bit about why she's still, why she's a Christian after deconstructing Mormonism. And I, we thought that would be an interesting topic. So we'll, we'll kind of get into that and lead up to that with some questions. Um, but Sandra, first, I wanted to uh, ask a I mentioned you were recently on with Steven Pinecker on his YouTube channel, Mormon Book Reviews, um, and you talked about the time that you spent attending Pauline Hancock's Church of Christ after you kind of left the uh, Salt Lake City-based LDS Church. So can you tell us about how that came about, that you you started attending Pauline's church? Um, you were raised, I guess, somewhat active in the in the Salt Lake City-based Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but when did your own questions and doubts uh, about that brand of Mormonism begin? And and kind of what drew you to that different sect of
1: Mormonism? Well, when I met Gerald, uh, he was uh, on his his own journey out of Mormonism. And as an 18, 19-year-old, he had uh, got questions about Mormonism and had driven out to Independence, Missouri from Salt Lake to visit the splinter groups because he had decided Utah Mormonism didn't look like it held up. So he wanted to visit the splinter groups to see if any of them uh, had a better answer to the problems. And also he had heard that the Book of Commandments, uh, Joseph's first printing of his revelations, read differently in some parts than the current Doctrine and Covenants. So he went back and visited the Church of Christ Temple Lot group who showed him a Book of Commandments and verified to him that the um, Doctrine and Covenants had been changed. Well, then he also visited uh, another little group called Church of Christ Bible Book of Mormon. And this was the one where Pauline Hancock, a former reorganized lady, had uh, left from the reorganized church. Some of the people in the church had come out of the Church of Christ temple lot group, a lot of different Church of Christ stuff and Mormon splinter groups. Anyways, um, he visited Pauline's church, and that was the first time he'd ever heard uh, about uh, anyone presenting the gospel. He um, was uh, taken by the sincerity of the people there. He was taken by their commitment to Christ. Uh, there was no show or pretense. It was a very humble group. Uh, they didn't try to dress up real fancy to outdo each other or anything. Everyone was just, uh, um, as you met them, there was no errors they were putting on of anything. So, he started studying with them. He was just visiting, remember? He, he lives in Salt Lake. And so he's visiting in Independence, staying with people in this church. And through talking with them, two different trips out, through talking with them, he had come to accept Christ. However, he was still, the little group was still believing the Book of Mormon. They had given up all the rest of Mormonism. No Doctrine of Covenants, no Pearl of Great Price, no temple work, no work for the dead. Uh, All all those things went because they took the Book of Mormon doctrine seriously. And when you really study the Book of Mormon, you find it doesn't teach Utah Mormonism. Uh, Joseph Smith moved on from his beginning teachings and started changing all of that. So that's how Gerald came in contact with the Church of Christ. Well, he comes back home. And starts having these little cottage meetings in his house, his mom's and dad's house. Uh, And my grandma, which is another story about how my grandma ended up with an invite to these little meetings. And I was visiting in Salt Lake and she asked me to take her there. So when we got over there, here's Gerald, who's this real cute guy, uh, holding these meetings. So that's how I got involved in that church was because of Gerald. And Gerald, uh, in these meetings, uh, would play a little teaching tape from uh, the group. And he would talk about problem areas of Mormonism, why you needed to jettison all that, and just go with the Bible and Book of Mormon. (laughs) So uh, Gerald's, I don't know what percent you'd say, three fourths of the way out of Mormonism, (laughs) still hanging on to that Book of Mormon. Um, We studied together uh, night after night. And I stayed in Salt Lake. And uh, had dropped out of college to meet with this cute guy, and <laughs> then <clears throat> we got married that June. This in '59. Uh, we knew we didn't want a Mormon bishop to marry us, and we knew we didn't want to get married in the temple. And we didn't know who to have marry us. And my mother, who had been doubting and had been visiting at a liberal Christian church, told me that she knew a minister, and uh, so we asked. Reverend Kepler to marry us, I found out later after we got married that he didn't even believe the resurrection. So, (laughs) uh, so much for having a Christian pastor marry us. But because I have have a little problem today with thinking that if you don't believe the resurrection, that that you get the name Christian. (laughs) So, oh, that guy's knocking at my door. Hank, can you just pause this a minute? So
0: you were telling us about uh, Gerald and um, being married by a Protestant minister who didn't believe in the resurrection.
1: Right. Well, we lived down in California for the first year of our marriage, and we visited around at different churches. But it was very hard for me to figure out what it was all about. Now, Gerald and I talked a lot about scriptures. And of course, he showed me what the Book of Mormon says, and then he's showing me the same stuff in the Bible, that uh, there's only one God, uh, there's heaven or hell. Uh, there's no work for the dead and you can't get take care of things later on. The Book of Mormon says, once you die, you're sealed. That's it, wherever you're going. Uh, and there's no work for the dead stuff. So no temple stuff. So that helped me in um, sorting through doctrine uh, t- to that degree <laughs> that you could use in using the Book of Mormon. Uh, so it was a journey. And I would like to encourage people that if they have a friend coming out of Mormonism, you have to realize that, you don't see all the error that you were trained in right off the bat. You can accept the Lord and still have a lot of old stuff packed in there. In fact, I've had people come in the bookstore and talk to me and we'll get talking along and I'll say something that will jar something in their mind. This one time, this lady looks at me and she says, wait a minute, you mean you don't believe in the pre-existence? And I said, no. And she says, I thought everyone believed in that. No. <laughs> Uh, the Christian world doesn't believe in a (laughs) pre-existence. And and yet she was uh, a new Christian going to some Christian church here. But evidently that topic had just never come up to where there ever had been a corrective for her on that's one of the things of Mormonism that you're going to have to set aside. It's not in the Bible. So I find this quite often that there's little bits of Mormonism still stuck different places and (laughs) Christians have to be patient in talking with their friends. Uh, it, it, if you were working among animists and they became Christian, there would be stuff in their thinking that would not j- jive with the Bible. And until the subject comes up, they don't know <laughs> that uh, it's a problem. So it was a learning process. We believed the Book of Mormon for three years after we left Mormonism and became Christians. I became a Christian through a Christian radio station. I mean, I was visiting different churches, but I couldn't quite get the grasp of what they were talking about. Uh, grace is uh, kind of confusing for Mormons. And so uh, this minister was preaching on 1 John chapter 4. Uh, I don't remember the verse now. Uh, Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. And that was the part of the chapter he was dealing with. We love him because he first loved us. and in Mormonism, where you're a child of God, I mean, real time, um, that you're a spirit child born to him and his wife in a pre-earth life, uh, it, it, you expect God to love you because you're his child, you know, you're God material. God material. So as this man's preaching on hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And that was such an amazing thought to me. I just sat there and pondered and pondered that. And the more I did, I realized uh, that all these preachers I'd heard, they were all talking about uh, seeing ourselves as sinners separated from God. Not that we just needed a, a little course correction in our life, not that we just needed to go to more meetings or whatever, but there was a basic problem. And that's when I found Christ. He found me, whatever way you want word it, <laughs> when I accepted the Lord. So we uh, visited different churches, didn't find a church home in California. We just visited. Uh, and then we moved to Salt Lake in order to do more research. And then we finally settled into a church home here in Salt Lake. And uh, we gave up the Book of Mormon in what would it have been? Uh, uh, fall of 62. Uh, so we got married in 59 till the fall of 62. We believed the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and then January of 63, uh, by that time we had two kids, and I said to Gerald, <clears throat> I think we need to find a church to raise our kids in. Living here in Salt Lake, they need a church where they're going to get good teaching, where they'll have friends, uh, because they, they're they not going to fit in with our families, so <laughs> we got to find them a group to, be, to hang with, you know. So anyways, we a- ended up at the Christian Missionary Alliance Church here in Salt Lake, and have been there ever since, um and God's been very good to us through the years um we've gone through so many things, but the Lord's always been there uh well, and that okay now, back to your questions. <laughs> what's next
2: <laughs> no, that's great sandra we, we appreciate that um your story kind of reminds me a little bit of uh Grant palmer's um when he when he kind of was starting to deconstruct his you know, some, some of his beliefs about the LDS faith, he kind of went to a more common denominator kind of Mormonism, you know, like boil it down, get rid of the extra stuff. You know, like you said, the doctrine and covenants and the Pearl great price and kind of just focus on Jesus. That seemed kind of like what he kind of the direction he went towards the end of his life. Um, so yeah, it's in talking to you, um, specifically about, uh, this deconstruction uh, process. So, you know, like you first, you kind of went more towards just the book of Mormon, um, you know, and then it took several years before you kind of left the Book of Mormon. So during this process of your deconstructing your faith or reexamining your faith, however you would prefer to call it, um, what why do you think that you and Gerald didn't just, you know, completely jettison all of it altogether? Why did you not just become atheists and you still clung to Christ?
1: Well, we both, before we knew each other, had had experiences with uh, God intervening and touching our lives and answering certain prayers. So I don't think we ever even considered at that point that there wasn't a God. It was just figuring out who He was. So um, I guess the non-believers would uh, say we just weren't critical enough. I don't know, but <laughs> but we felt that God had touches, and I still believe God touches us. Uh, and I know my unbelieving friends want to chalk it all up to emotion or lack of study or whatever. But uh, I mean, I feel that God answered a, a couple of specific prayers when I was a teen that had nothing to do with Mormonism. They were personal issues that I just knew there was a God out there.
2: Yeah, that, that actually rings true with me uh, as well. Oh, can you, hear me? can you hear me now? Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, that rings true with me as well. Uh, I I When I was deconstructing my faith as Latter-day Saint, I considered just, you know, becoming atheist, but I had also experiences where I felt like God had really just made his presence or his, you know, his existence known, his love known to me. There were special times during my mission where like I was, there was a time when I was being robbed (laughs) or or someone was trying to rob us. And I felt like God had led someone that we'd met on the street. He wasn't LDS. He wasn't really, you know, we just talked to him, but he just happened to be there and he helped us out at that same moment. And I thought, man, that couldn't just be a coincidence, you know? So it felt like there was just too many coincidences to just say you know there's no god whatsoever and so that's so i what you said kind of resonated with me a lot
1: yeah well and just in the big picture of things uh it just made sense to me there had to be a creator i mean i couldn't look out over the universe and think it just happened uh that to me it showed design and i know some of my atheist friends they think the whole design argument's wrong but uh to me there is design and there's order in the universe Uh, it isn't just a crab shoot. <laughs> There's a reason we have gravity, you know. So I think those things came about in ways that show a mind behind it all.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I really appreciated what you said about um, Christians being patient with Latter-day Saints as they make the transition out and, and into Christianity. There are, uh, as you mentioned, there are pieces of Mormonism that will remain. Um, I've had conversations with my dad, who was also uh, kind of made his way out and is attending a Christian church there in Salt Lake City. And you know, conversations that we have, there are times when um, he he would kind of ask me, is is this is this Mormonism or is this Bible? You know, when we're, we'd be talking about a certain passage, you know, because um, you hear things as a as a Latter Day Saint and you and you imbibe the teachings, um, and they they kind of get into you deep, and it takes some time to to unravel everything. I appreciate what you said about that. And I, I also love that your um, kind of conversion or, or born again experience involved First um, John 4, because uh, I had an experience with that passage as well on my mission that I've talked about um, on the podcast, where I, we were going to, to meet with a, a Latter-day Saint couple there in Hungary. Um, he was serving as the elders quorum president in the branch, and we were going to meet with them for dinner and, and a, a message. And um, i prepared a message on uh first John 4 and kind of taught through those passages you know the one that you mentioned in particular you know that we love god because he first loved us and i remember uh, shandor was his name um when when we read through that he said i've never heard it put that way before you know and he was a convert to to mormonism but um, that message is so shocking and it's so so kind of um contradictory to the way Mormonism views grace and, and uh, how we, how we gain salvation. Um, and so that message of, you know, we love him because he first loved us is so powerful. So I love that that was part of your story. Um, but I, I did also recently um, rewatch your interview uh, on Mormon stories and you, you mentioned that you and Gerald uh, had felt out of place and you mentioned it tonight too, that because you, you still believed in the book of Mormon as you were making that transition uh, into Christian churches. Um, we're going to do an episode pretty soon on an LDS Church news article by um, Tad R. Collister. He was—he's uh, the former um, Sunday School General President of the LDS Church, and he—he he wrote an article uh, with a title that that suggests that the LDS Church ruins its members for other Christian churches. And he goes through and argues, you know, several points uh, of Mormon doctrine that he suggests make it difficult for latter-day saints to go into other christian churches um so why don't you talk a little bit more about what made it a difficult transition um but also what were some of the discoveries that you made as you transitioned into christianity and, and what were the surprises that kind of kept you engaged as you and gerald were making that transition
1: regarding christianity or yes our study of mormonism christianity, christianity. Uh, wow let's see uh We had already resolved that there was no priesthood. So I think that a lot of other people coming out of Mormonism struggle with the concept of priesthood. That wasn't an issue for us because that wasn't an important thing in the Book of Mormon. (laughs) And and we saw in Hebrews, you know, the uh, Jesus is our only high priest and those different things. So we'd studied enough to know some of those things. So priesthood did not become an issue for us because of the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Mormon view of God had already gone by the wayside, so that wasn't a problem when we went into other churches. Uh, culturally, I was a little shocked uh, in this in Southern California of women coming to church in sundresses because that was just whoa, you know, um, sacrilege to <laughs> have your shoulders uncovered, dear. And uh, and they served coffee in the foyer and. Although I didn't uh, feel I didn't feel that the word of wisdom was binding on me or anything, I just thought that it was uh, that it made sense. I mean, I still had accepted the emotional response to the word of wisdom, but uh, I hadn't really thought about it yet. But it just shocked me when there was coffee in the foyer, <laughs> and this is clear back in 1960. You know, uh, I'd have probably re- really been shocked today. But uh, so the cultural things like that um, passing an offering plate uh, was a problem for me. Uh, Nowadays uh, after COVID our church uh, has now gone to just boxes at the back of the church. If you want to put an offering in, we don't pass a plate anymore, which is okay with me. Because I think uh, that that has been a problem for many seekers in the past when a plate is passed well, when we first, started going to church, It's clear back in 1960, they would take the offering plate up to the front of the church and lay the plates on a little bench table thing in front of the pulpit, uh, like they were presenting it to God. And I'm, I'm sure in their minds, they thought of it in terms of an offering to God and putting it on the altar for him or whatever. But from an outsider's point of view, from a Mormon's point of view, it looked like they were giving the money to the pastor And so that was a bit of a a problem because I didn't know enough yet to appreciate the concept of uh, uh, faithfully giving money to a local church to help them continue in the work they have there to do. I mean, nobody operates for free. Well, very few. I mean, somebody has to pay the light bill. So, uh, but I'm glad now to see some of the churches transitioning to, uh, well, online giving has helped a lot with that but that they uh, don't pass an offering plate as much because for a Mormon, that it is a uh, bit of a trigger because, and this is, I don't know what Ted Callister talked about, but this is one of the things that Mormonism has spoiled you on is the idea that pastors are in it for the money and to perceive that offering as being given to him. Uh, So those are things that you have to work through and come to a better understanding on uh, We even, uh, we didn't have the shock of today's modern music. I think that would have been a real hard trip for me back then. Uh, (laughs) And for many Mormons, it kind of surprises them when they see drums uh, on the stage that, uh, you know, just, uh, they might get their head around a guitar, but, you know, drums are just a little bit too much like secular music. So as Mormons, we were used to very uh, slow hymns and um, no enthusiasm in it. Uh, I would say that the Christian churches generally were friendly, although sometimes as a Mormon, you kind of stand out. I don't know. I guess we look lost or whatever, but (laughs) when, when you're coming out of something like Mormonism, uh, and and there were some times when I felt that people didn't say hi to us because we were new people and that they probably thought we were Mormons or something. Um, so people could have been more welcoming to new people in. Uh, and I don't know, that may have changed a lot these days. I hope so. I, I think our church is a lot more friendly than it uh, was back 40 years ago. You know, <laughs> So maybe it's a learning curve for all of us.
2: Yeah, they, you know, they refer to Calvinists as the frozen chosen, you know, we we could definitely do some work in uh, welcoming new people for sure. But yeah, I I loved a lot of what you said. Um, I was going to ask you a question, but I think you already answered it. Uh, did did the change of, you know, not having salvation after death, you know, the possibility that deceased loved ones who accepted Christ, did that bother you at all when you were transitioning?
1: Well, yes. Um but since the Book of Mormon and the Bible both said there was nothing that you could do about your state after death, uh, I felt that, okay, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, that's part of the outline of the belief system. So, but it is a troubling doctrine, and I don't want to seem casual about it. Uh, people come in and talk to me, and they start crying, you know, well, does this mean my grandfather went to hell? Or my dad? did my dad go to hell? And I have to tell them that's between him and God because I don't know their heart. And uh, so I can affect how my end's going to be, <laughs> but we have no uh, ultimate power to keep our loved ones from whatever decision they made. So it is a horrifying thought to think of the people that will be separated from God. There's no doubt about it. Um, but there's a loving God that invited them and uh, we have to leave the rest to him.
2: Yeah. That's great. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to to understand. Sometimes I, I, I struggle to think about it, you know, especially with so many of my family members now that aren't Christians, but we really have to go with what God has spoken, what he's revealed in his word, even if it's difficult to accept. Um, And we talk with a lot of Latter-day Saints that just abhor that idea, you know, that, that there's no salvation after death. And we, you know, I have to be honest too and admit, you know, I struggle with it too, but, you know, we just have to trust God and he'll, he'll take, you know, whatever he does is right. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that,
0: Sandra. Um, so after you and Gerald married and and you kind of began your ministry in Salt Lake city, how did you start to go about doing research about Mormonism? What, what kind of drove the two of you in that direction, um, of doing ministry and, and what methods did you use to do your research early on?
1: Well, to begin with, we didn't think of it as a ministry and we didn't set up as one. By the way, I think that anyone going into ministry coming out of Mormonism needs a period of time to mature in their faith. Uh, I think we do new Christians a disservice if we push them forward too quickly into the public eye uh, because they they have not studied it enough yet. um, And there may be lingering bits of Mormonism in there. Uh, And just understanding the gospel. I mean, we all can talk about Christ to anybody, but I think people that really go into ministry need a transitioning period um, to be sure of what they know and believe. But we didn't think of it as ministry. We thought of it in terms of we're trying to figure out the truth, who is God, what are his scriptures, and what's my part in uh, serving God. But we started out trying to figure out the um, history of Mormonism. We started our journey struggling with elements of Mormonism that didn't check out that had been changed. And when we tried to tell our family and friends about this, they would say we were lying. We were just dumb kids and we didn't know zip. And uh, who knows that those books you're reading even have the truth in them. And, you know, you get all this kind of pushback. So our started from a research of trying to determine if Mormonism was true then trying to explain to our family and friends why we were leaving Mormonism because it wasn't true and uh, we got so much pushback on that we said well uh, I've got it isn't just one reference I can give you five references on that problem you know like polygamy or any one of Brigham Young's doctrines or the changes in the book of Mark, changes in the DNC that really affect meaning? And those kind of things that, uh, because everyone said, well, you just read that in some anti-Mormon book. So we were determined to have photocopies of the problem areas to show our family and friends. And so that really got us in deeper into researching on Mormonism. And we didn't think of it as a ministry as such as a Christian would say ministry. Uh, we view, viewed it as a service to God in that we're trying to help people uh come to faith in Christ and faith in truth and see that Mormonism is a lie. Uh, and the more we got into studying, the more we realized how deep the misinformation had been from Mormonism, what it had told its members. So we kept writing and studying all the Mormon aspects so that people would see that it isn't what it claims to be with the hope that with that breaking that down for people, they would be open to go on With Christianity, Uh, so we were a business for years. Uh, We set up modern microfilm in um, uh, around 1964 period, and operated as a business that produced all kind of research material on Mormonism. And um, that wasn't till 1983 that we set up as a nonprofit organization. But even through the uh, 20 years that we were just a Microphone business where we had a bookstore with all kind of material on Mormonism and some on Christianity. We gradually built up to have a bookstore. At first, we just had a little. Our, our front room was set up like a little bookstore, and then finally, we were able to get the property next door and set up with a regular facility for the ministry. Um, but so it was a process. But what drove us was realizing how. Um, Misinformed the Mormon people where they were trusting their salvation on something that was built on sand and they didn't realize it. It's like having your family sitting in the front room all laughing, joking, and you know the back side of the house is on fire. You're trying to get them out of the house and they can't see there's any problem in the front room. And so we felt that way about the Mormons and Christianity. You're sitting in the front room and you don't realize the building's on fire. But they wouldn't look at the evidence. And so (laughs) we just kept at it. Over the years, we've seen uh, dozens, hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many people come out of Mormonism, and many of them had come to faith in Christ. Not all of them, but many of them have. And I now have people coming back to see me in the store that will either write me or stop in and say, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was. Uh, I badmouthed you, and uh, maybe I called you up and told you off, or sent you a nasty email. Just want you know, I'm sorry for all that. I'm not a Christian, you know, <laughs> and that's just really exciting when you have those kind of exchanges. But it was a long time coming. It just it didn't happen overnight. We didn't immediately see pe- people leaving Mormonism to become Christians. In time, we saw many of our family and many of our friends come to faith in Christ. But it's, it was a journey, it didn't happen overnight. So I think people that are talking to the Mormon family, uh, I hope you continue to share Christ with them, even when it seems like it's just water running off a duck, duck's back. In time, things start to run around in their mind and they start to process what you said. And then uh, someday they may come back to you and say, now what was that you were saying about Jesus? <laughs> and you get a further chance to talk with them. Uh, I mean, my mom didn't accept Christ till the last week of her life, and uh, praise God she did, but there were were a lot of years there that she left Mormonism, went into atheism, mad at God, hated the scriptures, and to see God touch her at the end was just so um, exciting to finally see mom come to faith in Christ.
0: Yeah, I had a had a similar experience with my mom just before she passed, and I've shared shared that on an earlier episode of our podcast as well. I'm going to share a little bit with you um, about my mom. So she was she did a lot of genealogical research. She went to BYU as a young woman and and got a degree in library sciences, and she would do genealogy at the church uh, genealogical library for clients, uh, helping them to trace out their family history. Uh, ultimately, so they you know could take them to take the names to the LDS temples and, and perform ordinances uh, on behalf of those who had, who had died. But um, so that was what she did as her career. And we used to, when I was younger, we would drive past uh, what was then the, the stadium where the Salt Lake Trappers played. There was, um, I don't know if it's still there, but there, and I, and I think it was Seize Candies. There was a, a place where they made them nearby there somewhere um, just past, I think it's 13th South, somewhere around that area. And um we used to go there and she would you could buy those candies that uh, had not passed quality check at a discount and so we would, mom would uh, if we'd be coming home from the genealogical genealogical library we'd drive by there and we would pass your ministry and she would see the sign and she would <laughs> she would say those damn tanners <laughs> right and I, and I you know I never really understood it I I would ask her like what are you talking about who are they you know and Oh, they're anti-Mormons, you know, she would say. And, and that's, that's all I really knew about you until I was a young adult living here in Cincinnati area and really started questioning myself and started to go online to FAIR LDS, uh, FAIR Mormon at the time, and, you know, encountered a lot of articles trying to debunk things that you and Gerald had researched out. And those articles on FAIR actually created more questions in my mind than they helped to solve. Um, right. and so then I started going directly to your website and finding more information. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I really resonate with what you said about, you know, just keep sharing the gospel with people. Um, my mom near the end of her life, uh, was in a nursing home and I would go and read the Bible with her. And my brother, when he would, was in town would read the Bible with her, or he, he would read it with her over the phone. And, uh, you just have to keep at it. I, I appreciate what you
2: said about that. Right. Yeah. I was going to say too, uh, I really liked the in the various interviews I've seen with you where they've asked you questions about, you know, all the work you've done with Mormonism, how you and Gerald just had a very high you just had a desire and a and a thirst for the truth yeah. and with with the idea that the truth will win out and to not use sources or use tactics that are, you know, untrustworthy or that try that that might be useful in trying to attack the church but in the end they're not completely honest or truthful so i've always i've always uh, admired that about you and gerald that you were all you were always you were kind of like secret spies you were trying to like you know get into the church archives and get you know uh photocopies of like really old documents you know and hearing those stories is is, is great um also with the whole um for, for our listeners who don't know there's a documentary that was released recently that we talked about on one of our programs uh, murder among the mormons and um uh, you were interviewed for that, and um, the fact that you were very critical of the Mark Hoffman, uh, which, which turned out to be forgeries, you were very critical and not just embracing, hey, let's let's throw this out there, you know, the salamander letter has to be legitimate, you know, let's just use that against the church. You really wanted to study it and say, and Gerald had doubts about it, and he said, hey, let's look at this, you know, it's not very trustworthy, so I really admire that about you and Gerald.
1: And, you know, God uh, is a One of the quirks of life, I guess, how God can use the strangest things for his glory. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Gerald's just trying to be factual uh, on the documents. And because he stood up uh, publicly and said, I don't trust these documents. I don't think they're authentic. And then he didn't just say it. He wrote up a little pamphlet where he showed how it was plagiarized from old documents to get the wording in it. And uh, But no one paid attention because it was that evil Gerald Tanner that's just an apostate. And how could he ever tell the truth, you know? So a year later is when the murders happened. And that's when the Mormons started critically looking at them and realized, oh, my goodness, yeah, I don't think they are authentic. Uh, And the the final way of proving that was through the Mormon forensic scientists that uh, realized there were ways to test the ink that showed they were artificially aged. And that was something you could take into court to prove, whereas our analysis of the borrowed words would not have uh, done enough to persuade people that it wasn't authentic. But uh, because Gerald was the only one that stood up publicly in print and questioned marks document, we got written up in all the paperbacks that got written on Mark Hoffman. And because of that, It had this uh, funny effect that all these critical Mormons out there suddenly said, I say to themselves, wait a minute, you mean the Tanner's told the truth about something? Uh, And because of those books, we had a flood of Mormons coming to us for the next several years, coming out of Mormonism because they realized the church was deceptive in how it dealt with this history. And it wasn't just that they didn't didn't conceive that the documents were forgeries, they hid up evidence on the relating to the case that came out in some of the books. And so that was disillusioning to a lot of Mormons. You know, how, how could Gerald Tanner be right and the prophets wrong? I mean, we got a picture of the Deseret News, uh, the prophet, his counselors, and a couple of apostles all looking at Mark's documents Uh, proudest punch on the front page of the newspaper, like these are all authentic documents. And here's Gerald waving the flag in the background. Hey, guys, those aren't authentic. So it, in a backwards sort of way, ended up uh, putting us on the map in a sense that people finally said, well, maybe the tanners don't lie about everything. Maybe I could go down and talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) So it turned out to be a great open door for us.
2: Yeah, that's great. you were finally vindicated after all that research and all that work, and then they said, "Hey, <laughs> they weren't just lying."
0: <laughs> yeah, that that uh, whole thing with the Hoffman forgeries uh, was really impactful for me. Um, it's one of the topics that I encountered on Fair LDS as I was doing some research around 2002 or so, and you know, that's years after you know you and Gerald had kind of been on the forefront of that topic. But um, it was a topic that. I heard my mom talk about because, you know, some one of the bombings where, where he actually uh, nearly blew, blew himself up happened right by the um, the old uh, Deseret Gym, which is near the genealogical library. And so when, when we would go down there uh, where we would park, she looked up the hill to where that happened. And so she would sometimes talk about it when we went downtown. Um, and so later when I was researching it and and reading about, you know, that whole that whole idea how that you mentioned, how could the Tanners be right about something that the prophets were wrong about, you know, the way, the way that fair tried to address that thorny question was to attack your character, you know, Oh, well they run it as a business, which was, I was glad to hear you you know, openly say, yeah, we ran it as a business for years before we started as a, started as a nonprofit because, you know, that was the, all they had on that was to try to go after your character. And I, I thought, well, that doesn't change the fact that they were right about the Hoffman forgeries, you know? So yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that that uh, that yeah that that they that instead of trying to attack your arguments, they attack your character. And I don't and and having watched you in interviews and now talking to you in person, you know I don't know why they would attack your character either. I mean, what do they have to attack really? <laughs> I mean, you're you're the sweetest lady around. So.
1: <laughs> I drink coffee. What more do we need to say? <laughs> <laughs>
2: so. Um, Going back to kind of like your your uh, methods of how you and G- Gerald would do your research, uh, your historical research, you know, you, you typically went to primary sources, you really went to back to the original sources, and tried to figure out the history from there. But why do you think that some LDS historians didn't come to a lot of the same conclusions that you and Gerald did?
1: Well, you're assuming they didn't. <laughs> I think there's, I think you look at what is said at Mormon History Association that they have a conference once a year that many of their speakers are conceding the points that we were trying to get people to uh, see that we were writing on in the 60s. We talked about the 26 trial about the uh, uh, God my mind's going blank, but all these different the problems with the first vision. We were the ones in the 60s talking about the problem of different accounts of the first vision and then uh, talking about the 1832 account of the first vision that only has Jesus appearing in it. We were talking about all those things in the 60s that Farron Farms had to start uh, arguing. We we were uh, right on top of putting out stuff on the book of Abraham, that it's not a translation. Well, they're just now getting around to saying, well, it's a revelation. It doesn't have to be a translation. It's a revelation. Well, that's a big difference from what I was fighting uh, back in the 60s. Nipley was sure it was a translation. Uh, So through the years, we have seen them concede most of the major problems that we were dealing with years ago. And, And so they're conceding those things. Now, as far as their belief, some of them are able to, uh, some way marriage, they're making things uh, less literal with their testimony. And I don't know exactly how you work that. Uh, many of them will concede that there is absolutely no physical evidence for the Book of Mormon. And yet they will turn around and say they have a testimony for the Book of Mormon. Then I want to know what the testimony is to, just that it teaches about Jesus and has some good things in it. Uh, why would we make it scripture if we're conceding it's a novel? And that's what it would make it, it's a novel. If there is no archaeology, no evidence for a historical event, a people group, or anything, and you concede that, that it's not a translation, then what is it? Then it's a novel. And it's no more worthy of being scriptures than Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it can be inspiring and still not be scripture. So it's a funny mix of how the Mormon historians are able to um, change how they say things in such a way that they still say they have belief and yet concede that none of their arguments before that were literal work out. (laughs) So the Book of Mormon is not uh, a translation, it's a revelation. Uh, The Book of Abraham's a revelation. Everything's a revelation, but it seems like revelation doesn't have to be accurate or it can be a novel. Uh well then tell me why I should take it to scripture. And people will say to me, "But it's so inspiring." And I said, "I can take you to the Christian bookstore and show you a thousand inspiring books that will talk about Christ in the most reverential way you want to talk about him, but we don't make them scripture." So on what basis are we including that to the side of the Bible as well, not just as authoritative, more authoritative. They'd believe anything in the Book of Mormon before they'd uh, believe it in the Bible. Uh, Mormon scriptures always trump the Bible on anything. Yeah,
2: there's, I had a lot of thoughts going in my head. Uh, you, thank you for that comment, uh, Sandra. Um, I wanted to just mention really quickly that early on when I was questioning Mormonism, and after watching Mormon, you know, Mormon Stories uh, interviews, I watched the ones with John Hamer from Community of Christ, and I thought, hey, you know, that's, you know, like maybe I can keep this Book of Mormon and I can keep these things, but they believe in the Trinity, you know, like I was a Trinitarian Mormon for a while. You know, I was reading I was reading James White's Forgotten Trinity on the bus ride to my LDS uh, church house. And, um, but so I ordered from the Community of Christ, I ordered their version of the scriptures, you know, the Bible and the Doctrine and Covenants. And they also had several books in their store about the Book of Mormon. So I was like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll read those. And one of them was kind of just like a, um, a historical account of early converts, you know, to the LDS faith, like their view of the Book of Mormon, talking about how it's it's scripture, it's talking about the Native Americans all around us. So they had a very literal understanding of the Book of Mormon. And then the same, another book by a different author from the exact same store, you know, the Community of Christ store, I think it's called Millions Call It Scripture. And in that, it it talks about all the things you mentioned. It mentions there's not really any evidence of the Book of Mormon that it's historical. There's not really any, you know, places, people, groups, or any of these weapons in the battles. We can't find any of those. And it talks about how well other cultures have their books that they call scripture. You know, Hindus have their scripture, you know, uh, Daoists have their scripture. So we just have our scripture and we take it as a very, you know, it gives us spiritual insight and, uh, and it inspires us. And I looked at these two books and they seem like the exact opposite. One was telling us the original believers of the Book of Mormon thought it was a historical document. It was ancient scripture. It really happened. And the other one was telling me, "No, it's not ancient. It's not historical, but it can really help us out." And like that, just drove me even further down the slope of, you know, leaving Mormonism. I'm like, well, you're like, well, what is truth anymore? If you can, if you can't even decide on what is historical, what's not? It was, it was a mess. Yes. <laughs> so, that's that was. I think that's uh, one thing that that might. There's a lot of. LDS that we talk to that kind of go down that route of spiritualizing everything, or you know, kind of like taking and leaving historical parts of the faith and saying, "Well, this prophet said that. That's not that big a problem." You know, what matters is you know what this faith gives me, kind of a more you know subjective kind of experience with Mormonism. Um, I
1: find that they're willing to throw all their prophets under the bus if they say anything that the person doesn't accept today, and so today's prophet's the only one we have to listen to. And then I asked them, well, why do you read the Book of Mormon then? Those are old prophets. Doctrine and Covenants is old prophets. Uh, I don't understand the split they're trying to do now of, oh, that was then, this is now. That, that was just Brigham Young. He was president of the church for, what, 30, 40 years, whatever it was, longest serving president of the church. And they want to throw him under the bus that, oh, that Brigham, he said a lot of crazy stuff. We, we don't pay attention to that anymore hey, if you'd been sitting in conference that day, it would have been scripture to you. Uh, they want to say today's conference is God speaking to us now, yet they won't give that to the past prophets that God was speaking to those people at that time in that conference.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had an interesting experience with that kind of thing when I first came home from my mission. I I took the idea that LDS prophets were uh, prophets, seriously. And so I came home and I, I wanted to get access to as much of their teaching as I possibly could. So I started to buy up, you know, the discourses of Brigham Young. Um, There was a collection of Lorenzo Snow's writings in book form that I purchased. And I just started to buy each book that had their collected teachings. And I I would go online and I was reading through these books and I would share things that, you know, Brigham Young said, or that Lorenzo Snow said, and and people, you know, other LDS people online found them to be a bit troublesome sometimes. And they would you know, often throw at me, you know, Ezra Taft Benson's talk, the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet, you know, that he kind of gives that same idea, right. That the living prophet is, is better than the dead prophets. Right. And um, I just kind of found that funny. Like what, like you were saying, like, why if they're prophets, they're prophets, right. You would, you would want to study them. So I, I, I find it strange too, that they try to throw them under the bus.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's kind of why we ask our Latter Day Saint friends. So, how do you know what your prophet is telling you now won't be contradicted by the prophet ten or twenty years from now? You know, and I don't know. Usually, I don't get a very solid response to that, but you know, that's something we want them to just think about. Right. So, um, we've talked a lot about uh, your work with Gerald, um, some controversies that you've gone through, like the the Mark Hoffman, uh, you know, forgeries. Um, so, we want to just talk about. With your experience, seeing how Mormonism has kind of changed and adapted over the decades, how has apologetics and evangelization work with Mormons changed? And in particular, you know, how has it changed since the church has become a more international church, especially since the 80s and 90s?
1: Well, when we were leaving Mormonism, the majority of literature dealing with Mormonism from a Christian perspective were very small books. Moody put out a couple of different ones. Uh, Gordon Frazier did one on the Book of Mormon, which for its time was good on the Book of Mormon. But uh, there were little pamphlets. There was a couple of little ministries in California that had little tracks. Uh, Some were better than others, but sincerely done. Um, But there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, We had, uh, we struggled to find books that we could give to our family. Because the ones that were out were mainly written for Christians, how a Christian could talk to the Mormon friend, but there wasn't a book that talked to the Mormon and uh, or approached it in a way that a Mormon would read it. So, and we found quite a few things had mistakes in it. That was one thing that probably launched us into doing our own work as much as anything, as we found so many errors in the different works that would be written up on Mormonism from people outside of Mormonism. Uh, A funny one that happens quite a bit is confusing of the Joseph Smiths in Mormonism, because you have Joseph Smith, then you have his uh, nephew, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, and you, well, no, Joseph F. Smith, then Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, then you get Joseph Smith McConkie. I mean, it just, this Joseph Smith stuff confuses people <clears throat> and so I'll read someone's pamphlet <clears throat> and they're quoting it like it's Joseph Smith and it's really his nephew. and <laughs> I go, whoops, no wrong prophet, that's not the same guy. Uh, but because they write when they they have a surface knowledge on Mormonism, but they haven't really got the players all figured out yet in the story. And so they' we have it, there's several families like that where you get a certain name that just keeps getting used. Well, like I'm descendant of Brigham Young, I'm also a descendant of Brigham Young Jr. And so you have people confusing which Brigham Young they're talking about. Uh, so, but coming up through the years, uh, there got to be more people involved in trying to witness to Mormons and trying to learn how to talk Mormonese um, and to do their homework in that. And so that was good. Uh, some were better than others but uh, everyone was trying to do the best to figure out how to win the mormons to christ um i think there were some excesses along the way where things got too uh, much like a shouting match and uh too much of contention around temple square <coughs> that gave a bad, <coughs> excuse me uh, gave a bad name to other Christians that tried to do a kinder, more informed approach. Uh, Mormon uh, defenses have changed through the years as well. Uh, Mormon claims have changed. I mean, when I was growing up, the Book of Mormon was literally true. There really were new fights, and there really was a war on the Hill Camorra in New York. And we knew all these wonderful things, you know. And then over the years, the church starts backing down from it all. And so that changes the discussions and the... Uh, debates back and forth because the claims keep changing and morphing. Uh, So we've had to up our game on the other side to (laughs) answer the way the Mormon uh, is approaching history and doctrine. And uh, Well, it's just like the silly thing that Nelson did when he got up, uh, President Nelson, a few years ago and said, uh, the Mormons aren't to use the word Mormon anymore. And I'm like, what? I was a Mormon all my life. You know what I mean? Mormon. (laughs) No, we're not Mormons. Okay. Uh, And to make such a big thing out of that, who cares? Anyways, uh, but they change on what's important, what isn't important. One of the shifts I've seen over these years is a shift from the literalness of everything in Mormonism, literal Book of Mormon, literal Book of Abraham translation, uh, to um, a softer approach to it so that they are gradually training the Mormon to speak of things in more spiritual ways instead of literal ways. And so that they can counter when someone points out to them an inconsistency in Mormonism, they can say, Oh, well, you misunderstood. That wasn't meant to be literal. Uh, When it says horses in the book of Mormon, it doesn't have to be horse like we think horse it's whatever pack animal they had, you know, well, sorry guys, you don't have one. I don't know what you're substituting, but they've softened on saying the absolutes. And now more and more, everything's going to uh, feeling and uh, even testimony meetings are changing. So that when I grew up, we went to testimony meeting. Everybody said, uh, "I uh, the testimony had to end something like this. I know that this is the only true church and that Joseph Smith's God's prophet here on earth. And I know that whoever the prophet was currently, you throw in, and he's a prophet of God. Uh, and I know the Book of Mormon's true. And I say this humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And good testimonies always, end, always ended with this little kind couple of couplet stuff that put at the end. It was uh, part of the almost like liturgy. You had this little thing you ended with. You knew all these things were true. You don't have to hear that much anymore. You listen, you look at conference. They used to always end their talks with something about, I know it's the only true church in Joseph Smith, his prophet, uh, but many of them don't say that anymore. Uh, they may just end with, I say this humbly in the name of Jesus Christ or something, but they don't have the same push for Joseph Smith's name like they used to. I just saw someone had posted on uh, the last conference a chart of how, the name Joseph Smith shows up in conference through the years and you could see it hit a point in our lifetimes when suddenly it's all going down and Joseph's hardly getting mentioned more than three times. I mean, that is a, it's a major shift. They're trying to back step from uh, pioneer talk and Joseph Smith. Uh, part of that's they want to include the whole world and they're trying to make the Europeans feel like they're part of the team. Uh, even though they don't have pioneer ancestors or whatever. Uh, so it, but it represents a change in the um, rhetoric they use. And they're upping this testimony value. I know this is the only true church. You know, the uh, I, I prayed about the Book of Mormon and uh, God told me it was true. People used to come in and tell me that all the time. And the, that, well, they'd come in the store and they'd say, Mrs. Tanner, I just have one question for you did you ever read the Book of Mormon? And did you pray about it? And I tell them, yeah, I read the Book of Mormon quite a few times, actually. I even read it in the 1830 edition. Uh, but, you know, when I prayed about it, God told me it wasn't true. Well, then immediately, oh, well, you didn't pray right. I said, well, how do I know you prayed right? It, it, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere on that kind of argument, which is why they're going to more of that kind of an argument, because no one can win. Uh, you know, God said this to me, I don't care what he said to you, (laughs) just a long feeling.
2: It does seem like there's this bifurcation in the church. There's kind of the conservatives that want to hold on to that traditional Mormonism that that we're kind of more familiar with. Um, And there's the other group that's, like you said, kind of going this more spiritualized direction. And it's going to be interesting to see how these groups clash with each other in the next few decades. Uh, I mean, we even see kind of a struggle of Teaching and doctrine from Salt Lake City versus BYU. You know, sometimes you'll read articles from BYU professors. It's like, uh, you know, they they don't go directly counter to the church, but they show they they teach different ideas that could that could possibly you know cause problems in the future. And it's just a very strange time in the LDS Church today. Um, Like you said, it's a lot all about emotions for the most part.
1: And the change in the next prophet is going to be something to watch. Uh, Nelson, who's president right now. He's claiming revelation quite often. He feels in the middle of the night, God speaks to him, and he'll come out and say it was a revelation, except they don't always stick. Um, he still had to change things along the way when he said it one way, then next three months later, said it another way, and three months later, another way. For instance, in uh, a few years ago in General Conference, they used to have a, a Saturday night priesthood meeting. And for years, everyone knew you came to Salt Lake, there was a Saturday night priesthood meeting. Well, then they decided that, well, the women were feeling left out or something, give them equal time. So then they started having every other conference, the men had a meeting, and then the women had their meeting. Uh, And then it turned out people weren't happy with that. So then they went to having everybody there, and the kids could come too. Uh, And then we got COVID, and the whole thing stopped anyways, and... Now they're back to Saturday night priesthood meeting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know where we at in all this. So I don't know where uh, where a Mormon knows what to trust because if they see it in mundane things, that things just keep changing, and they've changed a lot in the last 20 years culturally. There's differences in how things are run than the way they used to be. Uh, I don't know why they don't bring back janitors. They got plenty of money. But uh, that was another change. In my day, they had the guys on church welfare were given the job of being janitor at the ward. Uh, so they had a job and were working in essence. Uh, but there was a stigma to being the janitor at the church because everyone knew that you're probably on church welfare. Mm-hmm. And they, they have their own brand of uh, canned goods that they do for their uh to help the down and outers of people who have lost their jobs and stuff, but they have their own label. And so when a Mormon comes into your home and if they see that label in your pantry, they know you're on church welfare. So it's a kind of shaming thing. Uh, We had some in our family that were on church welfare, and I know they faced this embarrassment of uh, having church canned goods on their shelves. Uh, But that's, uh, they're changing on a lot of how they do welfare even. So Well, we're going to see some changes when the new president comes in. And I say when, because the guy we got right now is, what is he now, 97 or something? Do you know what?
0: uh, Yeah, he's up there. He's definitely somewhere
1: in that neighborhood. The next guy is going to be um, Oaks, Dallin Oaks. And he's more of a hardliner, at least what seemed to be in the past. So will he go back to a more literal approach to things? We don't know. Uh, and the next guy's down from there, you know, is is someone going to step up and say, hey, we've gone too liberal, we've got to go back to the real, real true ways? Or will it be someone that wants to take him further down the road of liberalizing uh, their belief system of instead of saying we're the only true church, do they start saying we're the best church?
0: Well, I think I already I already encounter that kind of pragmatist approach you know, with people online quite a bit. Um, so, yeah. Sandra, really appreciate you coming on Outer Brightness tonight. Um, I we appreciate the the wisdom that you've shared here tonight. Um, there's several things that that kind of stand out to me. Um, one that really stands out to me is just your the wisdom in in enjoining in Christians to be patient with Latter-day Saints as they make the transition. It is a difficult transition, and and that's why our podcast exists is to try to give a place for Latter-day Saints and those transitioning to listen and, and work through some of the doctrinal questions, historical questions in a place that um, they get to hear from people who have walked that road and 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 understand what they're going through. But I um, wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about uh, something that's coming up in, in your future. I, I understand there's a biography going to be coming out of, of you and Gerald. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yes. The publisher is trying to get it ready for uh, August because the uh, first part of August, there's a Uh, conference here in town of uh, ex-Mormons and uh, Mormons and all kind of, a a study of Mormonism from all perspectives. Anyway, Sunstone uh, has this large gathering for these several-day meetings, and the publisher is trying to get the book done to have it for sale at Sunstone, and we hope they are able to. And I can't tell you for sure the title, because uh, last week they were still Debating on uh, the final version, but it will have Gerald and Sandra Tanner somehow <clears throat> in the title. We aren't sure what words are going to go before and after, but Gerald Sandra Tanner will be in the middle of it. <laughs> uh, but it'll be about our journey through the years and like uh, us being accused of being communist and sued by the church and, you know, all kind of crazy stories in it. <laughs> it's uh, going to be published by a secular press. It's not a Christian as such. So uh, it won't be as devotional as like Michael Wilder's book, uh, but it's uh, the struggle of dealing with Mormonism for 60 years, trying to bring people to Christ uh, against a church that has more money than we'll ever dream of. Uh, and yet they are able to keep going and confuse people on what it means to follow Christ. So we hope that uh, the book will be a help to others, see that you can walk that journey and still have faith in God, still trust in Christ, and go on with a Christian life. You don't need to throw all religion out just because you see the error of Mormonism.
0: Amen. Well, I I definitely look forward to getting it and reading it when it comes out. And who who wrote the book for you, Sandra?
1: Uh, Ron Huggins. Okay, He's actually a New Testament scholar. But he's had a sideline interest in Mormonism for many, many years, and written articles for Mormon history uh, publications, um, and, and is a friend of ours. So that's nice. It's always nice to have a friend do your biography. So, <laughs> uh, but I think people will find it a, an amazing, crazy life. <laughs> and God's brought us through. Uh, Gerald had Alzheimer's, and we kept the ministry going through all of that, and uh, God's been faithful through my whole life to whatever the problems have come up, God's taken us through and taking care of us.
0: For sure. I, I Like I said, I look forward to reading it. Um, for our listeners, I, I encourage you to get it when it comes out. Um, I've Over the years, as I've studied out Mormonism, uh, like I said, you, you quickly come to know the Tanners and uh, Sandra is right. There are going to be some really interesting episodes in that biography. So, um Get get a hold of it when you can. Uh, Sandra, once again, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yes,
2: thank you. Thank you, Sandra. We really appreciate
0: it.
1: All right. Thank you very much.
0: Have a wonderful rest of your evening and God bless. Thank you. Hey, Fireflies. Thank you for listening. We have a special giveaway for you. Here's how to win. Be one of the first to hear this message. Go to the Outer Brightness Facebook group. That's the discussion group, not the page. Find the post with the heading Lighthouse Giveaway. Post the secret word as a comment on that post. Be one of the first three listeners to do so, and you will win a copy of the biography, Lighthouse. Gerald and Sandra Tanner, despised and beloved critics of Mormonism. The secret word is, Lighthouse.